listening to Destination Country X, a KPMG tax radio podcast series. We cover key U.S. and foreign tax and trade developments that affect cross-border investment. I'm your host, Kim Major, a principal with Washington National Tax and leader of the firm's inbound tax practice. We're glad to have you join us. Enjoy the program. The last few years has seen the U.S. embroiled in a trade war. We've seen a slate of protectionist tariffs imposed on steel and specified Chinese imports. And at the same time, the U.S. has found itself playing a bit of defense in the international tax context, particularly in the digital services space. And we've seen tariffs even being brought to bear there, too. How did we get here? And where could this be headed, particularly with upcoming elections and the potential change of administration? That's what we'll be discussing today. All right, so joining me today are Courtney Wallace, my co-host and international tax principal from our Detroit office, Chris Young, a principal from our Chicago Trade and Customs Group and lead on our trade transformation efforts, and George Zaharatos, a principal from our Trade and Customs Group in Atlanta who leads tariff recovery for the firm. Thanks, Kim. You know, and I think this is a great topic for us to be talking about today. We spent some time in a prior episode talking with John Gimigliano about supporting U.S. manufacturing really through tax provisions, particularly those featured in the Biden tax proposals. So it'll be interesting to talk about the same issues, but now thinking about them and looking at them through a trade and customs lens. Oh, I totally agree. So maybe, George, Could we ask you to start us off with a quick recap of what's going on in the last few years? Sure, Kim, and it's good to be here today. You know, when I look back at when the tariffs on products from overseas started really heating up, our team and I started mapping them. The first was Section 201. It was on solar panels and washing machines. And after those went into place, we saw Section 232. This was meant to cover national security threats. And so steel and aluminum were on that list, a 25% additional tariff on steel and at a 10% on aluminum. And that's when the floodgates opened. The new lists against imports from China, Section 301. So List 1 came out, $34 billion in products covered there. List 2 came out. 16 billion in products covered there. List three came out, 200 billion in products. List four came out and it actually was split up into A and B. List 4A was 120 billion in products that were imported from China that were going to be covered by these additional tariffs. And list 4B had never been put in place against China. Keep going. And last year in 2019, we saw additional tariffs on the EU. And those were also covered under Section 301. This was in response to subsidies that were provided to Airbus by the EU. And we ended up putting tariffs on imports from the EU on civil aircraft, agriculture, food, apparel, textiles, other products. This started to become more of a global tariff issue than it was just a China tariff issue. And then finally, we saw that there were going to be tariffs and there will be tariffs put on the French because of DST, their digital service tax. And we're waiting to see that the date that those will be imposed is in January of 2021. So we've had a long runway. And just to give you a sense of the impact in the U.S., from 2018 to 2019, we saw a rise of duty of 73%. That amounted to $80.7 billion worth of duties collected, and $63 billion of those tariffs were remedy action duties, these safeguard tariffs that we're looking at and we're talking about today. 
George. You went through the tariffs, and with some of them, you threw out numbers. And somehow, I kept thinking, oh, these numbers are going to be in the millions, starting with an M. And the numbers all started with a B. That's a stunning amount of protective tariffs. So I guess the first question to you guys is, did this work? I think it's a really tough question to answer, because I think arguably they do and arguably they don't. But I think, you know, certainly what we can say is at a macro level, right, as, as a geopolitical tool, I think you can say that the tariffs have been somewhat effective as a tool to get countries to do what this administration wants. Arguably, they're effective against steel and aluminium. We had countries striking deals with the US, putting quotas in place on their products. Arguably, they're effective against Mexico in a softening of immigration stance, making them take action against certain immigration matters. And then, you know, arguably, they're effective in delaying the digital services tax that George has talked about. It's now scheduled to come in in January, the tariffs. And I guess you could say, arguably, they don't. They're still collecting a whole lot of tariffs from 2018 and onwards. So it's not fixing anything immediately. I think the trade deficit is at a 14-year high. So I think it's working to varying degrees in some places and not in others. But I think maybe one of the messages that I think almost doesn't matter in a way, right? Because I think we've seen them used as this geopolitical tool. I think we've seen them used as a as a transactional tool, right? In in striking a deal, in in creating this bilateral relationship between two parties where you can actually say, okay, here's a tariff take it or leave it, I want this certain action, and then tariff being used as a sort of weight, this negotiating tool. So yeah, I think it's a really tough question to answer, but I think you can say arguably they do, and arguably they don't. Okay, so manufacturers, U.S. companies who are manufacturing in China, took a look at these tariffs, and one of their responses was, okay, I'm not going to manufacture in China anymore, but there are other jurisdictions where I could manufacture. For example, I'm just going to go to Vietnam. I think a lot of manufacturing did move to Vietnam so was that at all effective? And I think we see that now, particularly as we've seen this development around Vietnam, the threats of tariffs against Vietnam tied to lumber imports, lumber industry, and also tied to currency manipulation, which is a very familiar story, right? We heard this against China two, three years ago. So to a certain extent, we're kind of playing protectionist tariff whack-a-mole. Is that is a little fair to say? I think that's one way to look at it. And certainly the Senate could sort of argue that, yeah, you know, you've seen a move from China, out of China to Vietnam. Therefore, are we, to use your analogy, whacking that mole there, right? I mean, obviously, there are some underlying reasons for the investigation, but that could be one reason. Okay, so if we've got kind of our challenges then that are otherwise happening in Europe, and we heard some really big numbers, and we've got the Asia issues as well with folks moving out of China and into Vietnam, is Mexico the next destination of choice? It seems pretty natural. We certainly see a ton of that in the Midwest, right, with the Maquiladora structure. It seems like that would rise somewhere to the top of the list, particularly with the USMCA going into force this past summer. I've been seeing a lot of movement into Mexico. The USMCA just went into force July 1st of 2020, and I think that we're going to see more of it. I do know that there have been very little, but there has been traces of U.S. re-onshoring of manufacturing and assembly. We're working with a few companies now who are bringing assembly back to the U.S. So there is a mix of it. I do see Mexico as being one of the places that will benefit from this. And also, I just want to comment on one thing that Chris mentioned earlier. And I had a discussion with a pretty high level trade attorney in-house at a, a multinational company. And the way that she described it was, you know, you're constantly being painted into a corner and you edge out a little bit and then some new tariffs come in and you're back in the corner and you're trying to figure out how to get back out. And I see that happening over and over again. And I think based on what we're seeing with the investigation against Vietnam, 
that that's likely to happen again. <laughs> We're back to the whack-a-mole issue. So wait a minute. We just walk through the whole story going on in Europe, right? DST comes in. Tariff gets introduced. There's a little bit of standoff. Everybody delays. But as we know, Mexico has just implemented a digital services VAT, digital economy VAT. Are we going to see the same kind of dynamic with Mexico as we just saw with Europe? And even can we, given that the USMCA went into force this past summer? You know, Kim, it's a good question. Let's think about what the objective of the tariffs has been. So the tariffs have been implemented primarily as executive orders to level the playing field when other countries aren't playing by the game or perhaps introducing unfair or discriminatory taxes. And so I really do see it as something where, you know, if Mexico puts a DST, we are in a position to evaluate whether or not that's fair, whether or not it's discriminatory. And if so, then tariffs are a tool of choice for foreign policy right now. So why would we not consider them? In fact, the USMCA has language that talks about non-discriminatory treatment of digital products and that the parties need to make sure that they avoid unnecessary regulatory burden on electronic transactions. So I think there's enough room there for the U.S. if we decided that these are discriminatory taxes, that we are in a position to put some tariffs on them. And they may be unrelated, but tariffs are the tool of choice right now. You know, it's interesting as we think about it. I'm wondering how things change, if at all, if the Democrats were to win the White House. Another good question, Courtney. My feeling is, is not a lot, at least initially. And if you look at Biden's positions that he puts out there on trade, he's fairly silent on the China tariffs themselves. I think you have to sort of read it closely, read it carefully, but the, the China tariffs themselves, he, he doesn't talk a lot about. And rather, instead, he focuses more on how he's going to build alliances to address the issues that trade solves, right? But I think we can take a lot from that, right? I think we look at the old paradigm of Democrats being more protectionist and the Republicans being more pro-free trade. And I, I think certainly things have flipped, but I don't expect Biden to follow that new paradigm as much. I, I just don't think it's going to win in many votes by just completely taking the tariffs off the books immediately. We just need to think back to a, a trade war that happened in the 60s. The EU imposed tariffs on chickens and the US responded with tariffs on various products, but one of which being light trucks. And those light trucks still exist. They call it the chicken tax. And it, it's been on the books forever. Was it 40, 50 years now? So it's very hard to take tariffs off the books once they're on. And I think that will be the case here. But I, I do think what we'll see is a move towards maybe some of the other tariffs being addressed, maybe the start to build alliances with the EU. The other interesting thing that I read about as well recently is Biden using trade as an environmental measure. So using things like carbon adjustment mechanisms as well, and maybe using tariffs for that reason as well. So arguably not a lot, very much in the initial stage of the administration would be my expectation. So don't Unfortunately, don't expect too much change or too much reduction in the tariffs. And I totally agree. Ultimately, it comes down to what are your priorities in an administration? And if they're to go back and mend fences with our friends, well, yeah, maybe we'll see some tariffs come off, you know, strategically based on who our friends really are. And if it's to further another policy like the environmental policy, it really comes down to you take those priorities, you want to force change and or influence other countries to act a certain way. And tariffs are part of the toolkit now. So I definitely agree with Chris. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the motivations for use of tariffs are in the future. Great. So how are companies working to manage risk from a practical perspective? 
I personally have been spending a lot of time with multinational companies to evaluate whether exclusions to the tariffs apply to their imports and then be able to go back and recover them. And once you understand which ones apply, you may be in a position where your duty spend has increased by hundreds of millions of dollars or zero based on whether or not there's an exclusion. So that's where I've been spending a lot of time where companies have been looking to mitigate them. I find this dynamic between tax and trade and particularly kind of the escalation of trade wars using tax and maybe tax wars using trade really interesting. And while the next chapter (laughs) promises to be a doozy, it does not seem like we're anywhere near the end of the story. So following our chat with Chris and George, we had a chance to catch up with Antonio Zwazwa, the leader of our indirect tax practice in Mexico, to get his reaction to their thoughts on the new Mexican digital VAT and the USMCA. Antonio, thanks so much for joining us. So what do you think of the guy's arguments that the new digital VAT is discriminatory under the USMCA? Well, it's a complex question. Uh, and I don't think necessarily see it as a discriminatory action. The VAT is an indirect and territorial tax that is paid by the end consumer when the service is provided or sourced in Mexico. So since June 2020, Mexico introduced the DST only focus for VAT on some digital service provided by foreign residents in a way to level the playing field with the Mexican digital service providers. Oh, okay. So I guess what I had not understood, and maybe they didn't either, was that the Mexican digital providers had already been subject to the VAT, and therefore this is kind of the opposite of discriminatory action. It's just kind of bringing everyone into the ambit of these rules. Is that right? Correct. Totally. Okay. But, you know, even if not discriminatory... In your opinion, does the USMCA preclude the imposition of the VAT? The idea of the USMCA was to allow the unimpeded movement of digital goods and services across the border. And doesn't any type of tax do exactly that? Right. However, yeah, the the USMCA provides some reservations to, to charge some income taxes. And we believe that the BAT would be seen within those reservations as well. I also want to mention that so far, there are only about 35 foreign residents registered as a digital service providers in Mexico. And as a result of this low compliance, the Mexican Congress is currently discussing a reform for 2021 to increase sanctions such as blocking internet access to those foreign residents that are not registered for tax purposes. So if you're not in the list, there is any chance that you could fall within the scope of these new rules. I would strongly recommend doing the analysis and, if needed, registering as soon as possible. Interesting and sounds kind of scary. <laughs> so it was admittedly a little unfair, although kind of entertaining, not to give George and Chris a chance to respond to, to your response to them. But perhaps next time we have them on, you can come back and duke it out with them in real time. In the meantime, thanks everyone for joining us. Stay well. We'll speak again soon. You've been listening to Destination Country X. Thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to speaking to you next time.